Welcome to Celebrity Book Club, the podcast where we read the memoirs, pop culture icons, so you don't have to. I'm Kara. And I'm Carrie. And today's book is Bachelor Nation by Amy Kaufman. Woohoo! Okay. Kara, I'm so excited for this. As you will have heard in last week's Guess the Author, I invented a strange trope on this here podcast called Birthday Week. And I invented this so that I would finally have an excuse to talk about The Bachelor on this podcast. Kara, as many of you are probably aware, because she represents the classy half of the pod, (laughs) doesn't watch The Bachelor franchise, but... I do, and I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. When I created Birthday Week, Kara used it to talk about a legitimately good book and author. <laughs> like a a she talked about a book that has been on everyone's like best reads of 2020 list. <laughs> and while I will say I chose the single most elevated option for a bachelor book because I could have chosen a book by an actual bachelor contestant, of which there are at least 20. <gasps> not this. Well, it's been on for almost time. 20 years, and there have been more than 35 seasons. I think we might be close to 40 seasons of the franchise at this point. Because they do that thing like with the voice where... Yeah, you get multiple seasons in a year. Mm-hmm. So Bachelor season in a typical year, this year has been atypical, runs from January until about September. Oh, wow. So you start The Bachelor in January, which by the time this airs, the latest season of The Bachelor will have begun. Okay. Go The Bachelor all the way up. That usually takes you till around mid-March. Okay. Then you'll get a brief, and I mean very brief, like six-week respite, and then you start The Bachelorette beginning of May. Bachelorette runs May, June, July. End or mid-July, you switch over to Bachelor in Paradise. And occasionally you get some other specials in there. And Bachelor in Paradise is uh, basically just reject island. Got it. And that's where they put all the cast-offs and they have a lot of sex with each other on a beach. And uh, usually that's where the most long-lasting relationships come from. Long-lasting meaning? Meaning more than a couple years. There's usually... Okay. Paradise. Every season that Paradise has existed, Mm -hmm. there has been proposals at the end of it. Now that is particularly wild because they are together for a maximum of three weeks. So after three weeks, they get engaged, they get engaged. And then usually I would say the first season, first season is a rare exception uh, where only one couple got engaged and everybody looked at them like, y'all, this is crazy. You shouldn't be doing this, but it set the new standard. And each season one of the engaged couples winds up coming back and getting married in paradise. From the previous season. From the previous season. Now, the first one is particularly great because that was a sham wedding. Like four views and ratings? Not quite. They So the groom, these are their names are Marcus and Lacey. Okay. Marcus thought it was real. Like they went, they had the wedding and they got married. And they got married in Mexico, but they needed to have like U.S. paperwork done. They get back to the country and his wife, who married him on national television, ghosts him. Just stopped speaking entirely. What? And so they never they never made the marriage official in the United States. And that wedding was just televised. It was just, I, I have watched them get married and know that they are not still together. That is bonkers. Yeah. That's that's probably the most dramatic of of the weddings. Okay. But I'm doing a lot already of of just unloading on you on bachelor knowledge. So far from what I've gleaned is that the onslaught of content um is similar to that of the RuPaul's Drag Race franchise. Yes. Yes. I I think and also probably unfortunately to uh classic Drag Race fans, the clientele is a lot of the same now because it's yeah. RuPaul's Drag Race has become straight culture over time. Yes. And I agreed. don't think there's anything that more embodies straight culture than Bachelor content. Mm. Yes. It, it ranks in my number one spot. Now, that doesn't mean that queer people can't enjoy it, 
but it's just, if you have any level of nuance about relationships and about sexual attraction, I don't, I don't know why you watch this show. I don't know why I watch it. I was like, why do you watch it? (laughs) That's something we're going to interrogate this episode. Amazing. Oh, interrogate. Look at you. Yeah. It's a, it's a big one. You know, we're going to do some scholarship today. I love it. Um, do you want to do a book in 60 seconds for this? I would love to do a book in 60 seconds. Great. So <laughs> I feel like we're going to cover a lot, but oh, yes. can you give us a summary? Can you do a book in 60 seconds for us? I would love to. Great. Your time starts now. Bachelor Nation details the creation of the Bachelor television franchise and with it, the history of reality dating television shows that came before it. Amy Kaufman covers everything from casting and applying for the show and night one entrances all the way to getting that final rose and getting down on one knee for a proposal. She also details the many Bachelor spinoffs, the show's complicated relationship around sex, exactly what goes into producing a reality show, why people keep watching the show, and why people try so hard to justify watching the show, along with celebrity testimonials from people like Amy Schumer, Allison Williams, Nikki Glaser, Heidi and Spencer Pratt, Diablo Cody, Paul Shear, Donnie Wahlberg, and Jason Ritter. Wow. Nice work. With a few seconds to spare. Well, Amy Kaufman's writing is great. Here's what I want to say up front. Part of why I selected this book was because it didn't make sense to deep dive into just one season, given it's a thing that is super not your speed. Sure. But also because I have read one other Bachelor book before, and the writing is so bad. By like a contestant or? Uh, Yeah, by a contestant. And they just, the content isn't what I wanted. So Amy Kaufman is a journalist who has covered The Bachelor for many years. And so I thought this is good because it'll give you an overview, but this is also good because it will help me keep brain cells Great. and let me read a book that is actually good, which it was. I'm glad for your brain cell retention. Congratulations. Me too. So we've clearly started to get at this, but Kara, what do you know about The Bachelor franchise? Um, I know that it exists. Yep. I did watch one season to completion. (gasps) What season? It was the season, I want to say, with Jake and Vienna. (gasps) You watched Jake Pavelka on the Wings of Love season? Oh, that's a classic. Yeah, because my roommate at the time, it was while I was in college, and she was a big, had been a big Bachelor head. She was part of Bachelor Nation. Yeah, sure. I watched that season and it like wasn't for me, but it also was like... It's a particularly terrible stretch of time on the show, but keep going. We'll cover it. It wasn't particularly for me, but it was like so bad that I couldn't not keep watching. Like I couldn't not tune in. Like I would come back from like studying at the library or something and my roommate would be like, this happened. And I would be like, oh my God, what? Yeah. You know, and like there's something in it that makes you unable to stop watching. I would agree. I after years in this. <laughs> Even if you're like not into it, it's hard to like say no. It's shocking how little it takes to suddenly care about these people. Yes. And then so that's really like my main thing with it, but then um when I first moved here, I watched a few episodes with you. Yeah, that makes that tracks. And I think that is it. Great. Well, I have a lot of experience with the yes. show. Tell me yours. So The first season I ever consumed would be the season right after Jake and Vienna's uh, Ali Fedotowski, who I stand by is still one of my all-time favorite bachelorettes. I started watching it as a joke with a friend. We were on the phone and we like needed something to like have on in the background, which is just like a wild thing we used to do as people. Like you would just be on the phone and you would watch TV with someone else. Like, Uh uh-huh. Very I would never do Sally. that with a person. Yeah, very when Harry met Sally. Yeah. I would never do that with a person now. No. I mean, like, I would occasionally, in the quarantine times once or twice with, like, my mom, we've, like, watched something together. Sure. Like, on FaceTime. Okay. But you have to, like, mute yourself, and it's, like, it's not So as... much work. Yeah, I just wouldn't do that anymore. But I did it at the time. I started watching it completely as a joke, and by the end of the season, I was enthralled, rooting for love. And that's pretty much how every season since has gone down for me. It starts as a joke. I wind up really rooting for the people with a few exceptions. And 
then there's always something that happens usually right before they announce their next bachelor where I am like, I'm out. Honestly, like the show keeps getting worse. It's not really like the, the love stories aren't as good. The, the, their dealings with race and sex are so bad and it's like a deeply problematic show. And I'm always like, I'm going to be out. This is it. It doesn't matter who they pick. And then they pick the one person in the franchise that is the person that it's like, oh, I have to see them. And that has happened countless, countless times. And that's why I'm still watching. I am pretty close to being on the way out. I've said this before. Okay. The most recent season of The Bachelorette had what I think is probably like the most beautiful love story I've ever seen of where we watched people like, I can't remember the last time I watched the show and thought people actually fell in love. And I think these people did. Oh, Hopefully by the time of this airing, they will still be together. I'm really rooting for them. It's nice. I will be consuming the current season of The Bachelor because it is the first season with a black male lead. We've oh. now had two black bachelorettes, but this is our first black bachelor. Great. And I will not be one of the reasons that the ratings goes down. Nice. But I'm pretty sure it's going to be on mute or on low because it lo- it looks terrible. It looks, oh. it just doesn't look like a good season. It looks like they're right back at sort of all of their bad tropes. This past season, they had two bachelorettes. Oh, it was, it was embroiled in scandal because one woman, and she was the, the first bachelorette was the oldest bachelorette they've ever had on the show at 39. I was going to say, what was she like? 36. <laughs> <laughs> But 39 was huge. They it was it was wild. But so she had a lot of older men on this season, oh. which led to just mature and interesting people. Yeah. When it's like a bunch of 22 year olds, you're like, okay. Yeah. And that's what happens a lot. And that's what it looks like this upcoming season or the season that has already started airing is is a lot of young catty women. And it just doesn't, it's just not great. It's not great. But this most recent season was very enjoyable, had a very good cast. And I'm glad I was watching enough to see that. I just, I feel like I've almost aged out of it. There was a, something I read in the book was like Mike Fleiss, the creator of The Bachelor, knows exactly what the 18 to 34 market wants. And I read that and I went, oh, A, I've always been very susceptible to marketing and branding. Mm -hmm. Just, I love brands, (laughs) brand culture. (laughs) Brand culture. <laughs> but in addition to that, I am aging out of the demographic. And I think I'm like, oh, is that why I don't like the show anymore? Is that I'm no longer the target audience? Oh, interesting. And that's that might be what's happening. So that's where I've been, where I stand. Can I ask you a a follow-up question? Yeah, ask me. Ask away. You said, like, well, I guess you sort of kind of already answered it, but I just, in terms of what makes a good season to you, like, okay. getting away from that, you were like, it doesn't look like it's going to be a good season, and last season was so good. Okay, that's a great question. So, to me, a good season is when drama is rooted in real life situations as opposed to producer manipulation. And you can tell when a producer is manipulating something. So some great examples in recent seasons, in this most recent season of The Bachelorette, because they switched bachelorettes partway through, uh, the first, the 39-year-old bachelorette basically found her husband night one. And she was like, I don't want to do this anymore. She oh, lasted wow. like two weeks, but then she was done. Wow. So they brought in a second bachelorette. Honestly, wild season. Very, very good TV. Yeah. But so they bring in this second bachelorette and it winds up being great. She like basically falls in love with multiple guys, but like in a way that it felt very genuine. It felt really good. Hmm. But this one guy, he's like, I don't feel ready to propose. He had been divorced and he was like, I don't think I can do it because of the time frame. And mm. maybe if he had had the full season with her, he would have felt ready, but he basically only had a half season with her. Oh, that was wow. such real stakes. The The show didn't give him that. He yeah. felt that already. Of like feeling that thing of like, I feel for this person, but it's too, like we're reaching a milestone of like both our leases are up and they're like, yes, I like yes. you, but I'm not ready to move in. Yes, exactly. And that those kind of situations are much more engaging as opposed to a thing that happened on the 
the previous Bachelor season, which is one of the worst seasons of all time because they cast a 25-year-old lead. And then he was looking at women that were, they were all 22 and 23. This does spoil a game a little bit, but basically they get to the point in the show where there's going to be sex Uh in the show. And one of them is a virgin. And historically, when you get to the sex part of the show, they keep all the contestants separated. Like they, they give you time where you're building your own relationship and they don't make you like interact with people. But because this girl was a virgin who was really nervous about it. They made her go last in the, in the sex having it's, it sounds worse than it is. I'm trying to avoid it because I have a mini game for you, but you know what? I'm going to spoil this part. It's called the fantasy suite, the fantasy suite. The fantasy suites are when you get to go have sex with them. Gross. Continue. Absolutely disgusting. Um, So for fantasy suites, they usually the women stay separated, but they put them all in a house together. And so this girl who is a virgin instead has two girls who are like clearly have just come back from having sex with this guy, like talking about it. I mean, like, oh, so great. It was so nice to hang out with him, like all this stuff. And this girl's freaking out. Like, that's the kind of stuff that it makes for a certain type of television, but that's not the TV that I'm interested in. Yeah. And it's also like not super. Uh, this isn't quite the word I want, but it's not super like humane either. Oh, so few things about the Bachelor franchise are humane. <laughs> so few. Which actually, let's let's segue. We're gonna okay. play a mini game. Great. This game is called Bachelor One Hundred One. Okay. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take you through some very foundational terminology that, if you've been watching the show for more than a season, you know all of, and you're you're in deep at this point. But a lot of these will be new for you. So. Okay. Let's start with the phrase in the moment. What do you think an in the moment is or an ITM for short? It's like a, maybe it's when they have to immediately like make a decision on camera and there's like not, they're not told beforehand what's going to happen. Interesting. An in the moment is basically a confessional. Oh, okay. It's where you, it's where you record what's happening, but you say it like it's in the moment, like it's happening right in that moment. Like, got it. Got it. When Jake gave Vienna a rose, I was so worried. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. That's Ah, it. They do that on like cooking shows and stuff too. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're in other forms they're called in the moments, but on this show, it's called an in the moment. Got it. I've already told you a little bit about this, but let's just go in. What the, the fantasy suite? What do you think goes on in a fantasy suite besides the sex having? Regardless of whether or not you had just told me what the fantasy suite is, I would say it is the room where the like lead stays. And it's called that because like if you get to go there, then you get to like live your fantasy of being with the bachelor or bachelorette. Great. Usually the fantasy suite happens on like a tropical location and it happens. How many people do you think the bachelor or bachelorette usually has the opportunity to have sex with? There's a limit. Historically, the fantasy suite, there's a week that is fantasy suite weeks. So you don't, you don't like when there are still 25 men, you can't be like, I'm going to have a fantasy suite with 25 men. (laughs) This is not Julie Claus for the week of (laughs) (laughs) 9-11. Um, that's a very specific joke that three people will get. Well, since it's a week, they're there for a week, like in real time. Eh, basically each episode there's they're like each week is an episode. Okay. So, then I'm going to say seven is my guess. You're looking at me like that. Your seems high. show is so much more sex positive. Historically, uh, it is for three people. It's when you get down to the final three. Oh, so when oh, you get okay. down to the final three, uh, contestants it's fantasy sweet week and usually there's a lot of travel on the show so they do a lot of stuff before they bone yes including hometowns which (gasps) hometowns are so you historically there are a few exceptions this is backwards you need to know if you're sexually compatible with someone before you fall in love with them i think that's important i agree it's i mean it's not it's not everything but i agree it is an important part (laughs) You have never sounded more like Reese Witherspoon than the way you just said, important. I'm an American. This is beyond. (laughs) So when you get to the final four, you visit the, if you are the bachelorette, you would visit your four suitors or suitresses' hometowns. 
No, that is that is purely a thing from the television show Unreal, which did you ever watch Unreal? Uh, the uh, 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 Constance Zimmer show? The Constance Zimmer vehicle, yes. I am aware of it, but I've never watched it. Yeah, it's Which wild. Is- they, they because they don't want to get sued, they call the, their version of the show is called Everlasting. And instead of a bachelor, they have a suitor. And instead of a bachelorette, they have a sutress. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it too, but also That's I'm obsessed with it. So when you get to the final four, you visit the four people you're dating's hometowns and you meet their family. All this before you've had sex with them in Absolutely almost every not. case. That's also, that's like, again, I mean, I'm sure this will come up, but like there, there's something so heteronormatively specific about that. Yes. And yes. like, so like nuclear family specific, like what if a person doesn't have a good relationship with their family? Like great, great question. So something happened on the most recent season of The Bachelorette where they do hometowns, but because it was all in quarantine, they had to bring people in. So they brought in the people that were most important to you. Ooh. And so do the producers think better to you. I, I think you gave the producers a list a and list. the producers work from that list to try and see who would actually be willing to quarantine and do things Got it. the right way. This this guy, Ben, he has been pretty vocal about the fact that he has had a lot of struggles with mental health mm-hmm. and ha- has sort of like struggled from the family life that he came from. And so when it's his turn to have people meet his family, it's his sister and what he keeps calling as his family friend. It was gr- it was great. And like the person we saw him talk to the most is his family friend, uh-huh. who fun fact is a like former top chef contestant who's like a pretty big deal. Oh, cool. She is there and they're talking. And multiple podcasts that I listened to about this were so like, why, why are we talking to a family friend? Like, why don't we know what's going on with their family? And I was like, the idea of chosen family is so foreign to people who watch this show (laughs) the idea that you may have complicated relationships with your family members is wild because you can't because a a frequent plot point on this show is like when you get to like your dinner portion of the date that's usually when you like unload about your traumatic past Uh so many times they're like well my parents are divorced and i'm just really worried that i'm never gonna find my happy ending like Okay. It's like, cool. You and half of America. Everyone's parents are divorced. Like, not like, I don't understand. Yeah. It, the whole thing is so wild, but yeah. So your final four go to hometowns. And then after that, you can bone them. There is one notable exception when speaking of heteronormative structures and really puritanical culture. A few seasons ago on The Bachelorette, there was a, The Bachelorette was a young Canadian woman named Caitlin Bristow. Any relation to Sydney Bristow? Not that I'm aware. Great, continue. (laughs) She basically, she had a guy she was super into on the show. And then a previous contestant from another season that she had been DMing uh, asked to be let on the show later. And she decided yes because she was really into him. Whoa. They can do that? They can break rules whenever it is convenient for drama purposes. Basically, I think why the producers let this rule breaking happen is because she was clearly only into one guy in the house. Like there was only one dude she was into. And then they brought this guy back and he was like, I want to be, I want to do this. I want to be on this show with you. And he was the only other person she had anything close to a similar level of chemistry with. It finally becomes time for his one-on-one date, a very popular trope on this show. You uh-huh. have group dates and one-on-one dates. Uh-huh. And we'll talk about another option in a minute. Great. But on their one-on-one date, they their date is like to go drinking in Dublin and they get drunk and just cannot stop making out and so finally she invites him to her hotel room and at this point she has like six or seven guys left and they have sex Uh and she feels bad about it the next day and goes to talk to the host chris harrison and is like she made a mistake a mistake like in terms of i offset the course of the show in it comes every part of it comes off as slut shamey as like oh. she feels like she let people down by doing what she wanted and having sex with the person she was into gross continue super gross and the host is like well yeah you made a mistake but now you're gonna learn from it it's like no she didn't make a mistake she did what she wanted to do in the moment she wanted to have sex with a man and she did it and 
I, good for her. Yeah. And they, they basically that season rewrite the course of the whole show and hometowns then come later. They, she, they stay in Ireland for like three weeks. They like cancel their travel to the next location. It, the whole thing, the whole season is basically like viewed as like Caitlin ruined the season because she decided to get some. Wow. That sucks ass. It absolutely does. It's absolute garbage and a problem. Wow. Gross. Super gross. Okay. So we've covered in the moments, fantasy sweet, sweet hometowns. Um, there's a group date, right? Uh-huh. That's where you, that's how you Multiple deal people. with the show when you have 25 people. Mm-hmm. You have to have a group with like 10 people on it and you're on a date with them. Right. And they like all sit at the same table. Yeah. Or, or they'll usually have like challenges in those. So it might be the wrestling date or it might be the painting date. You never know what you're going to get. It's more of like an activity as opposed to like a sit down meal. Yeah. And then there will be a cocktail party afterwards. Right. Okay. There's a lot of, you're going to wear fancy clothes and talk to me about how excited you are to get to know me. And like, that's the trajectory of the show. It's like, I'm so excited to get to know more about you. I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited about this. And then a couple of weeks later, it's like, I feel like we have a really good connection. It's like, for what? What have you talked like how? about? Yeah, like how? Yeah, what do we do? All you do is say the word journey a lot. Mm. The other option besides a one-on-one and a group date is once per season, there is a two-on-one. <gasps> two-on-one is where you take two of the most dramatic people in the house. Usually who almost no one who's ever been on a two-on-one makes it much farther after that. So this is like early in the season. It's usually in the first half of the season before you care about the love story. So you take the two most dramatic people in the house that have conflict. You go on a date with both of them and it's two men enter, one man leave. Oh, wow. Except that usually if the other guy doesn't leave that same episode, he'll leave the next week because usually they're both like unbearable, annoying people on two on ones. And she just sort of, it's like a thing to see like which one is less annoying and can we keep her up? Yeah, and we... there's a chance that she has chemistry with one or both of them, but they're too dramatic. A lot of it is producer manipulation at that point. Got it. Something that leads will often say is like they knew from within the first week or two who their final four were. And then they like play along with the rest of it until they can get to that point with those people that they're really into. Oh, wow. Interesting. It's fascinating. So it's like some of it is real, but some of it is acting. Yeah. Yeah. The only successful bachelor who has married his final choice, there are a couple of other bachelors who have married their runner up. They like realize after they pick their final one that they made a mistake And in the six weeks that follow, they have to, like, try and fix it all. Oh, my God. But the only one who has married the person that they chose in that final episode, he will say that, like, his final choice, his wife, came out completely by surprise. Like, he had a list of girls he thought it was going to be. And then halfway through the season, he's like, oh, no, it's actually this girl. That's kind of cool. It's very cool. Which is, like, kind of how life is sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always, like... Your first thought isn't always your right thought. Yes, exactly. Sometimes you need to be workshopped a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Which is a good segue to something called the first impression rose. What do you think the first impression rose is? Um, I feel like that's the rose that is that like the first rose that gets given. And it's like you were the person who like out of these 25 people stood out to me the most immediately on the first week. (laughs) The first impression rose is exactly that on night one, after everyone comes out of their limo entrance, you get to know them all a little bit and you pick the person that you feel closest to that you think is going to be the one. Mm. Most bachelorettes wind up with the person that they gave the first impression rose to most bachelors do not. (laughs) I believe that. Which is just such a, like, gender is a construct, but every once in a while I'm like, ooh, that's real. Y'all like, have no mm. idea what you want. <laughs> and also, too, like, sometimes you just go into something and there's such a overload of, like, yeah. so I'm being presented with so much information that I'm just, like, sticking with the person who I am most physically attracted to in this moment. Kara, what do you think the final rose is? I think the final rose is the rose that you give to the person that, you get engaged to. Yeah. Now you do not technically have to get engaged on this show. I thought it was going to be my people question. do. 
Most people do. There have been a few cases where people do not get engaged. For example, the first season, there was no engagement. There Uh was a man who said, I have this ring, showed it to her and then said, but I'm going to hold on to it for a while and see if we can make this work, which the sentiment is fine. Like not rushing into an engagement. I actually fully agree with showing her the ring and being like, work for it. Not yet, honey. (laughs) That really didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing that happens is the men always propose all like, there's no situation even on the bachelorette where the woman proposes to a man that just seriously. Yeah. Even though it's her show, even though it's her show gross so instead what will happen is and you get to the the final rose ceremony now sometimes uh the bachelor or bachelorette will let the other contestant go the day before sometimes they will wait until the moment of while the person is professing their love to be like actually no never mind a couple of bachelorettes will let the man get all the way down on one knee and (gasps) then say no which that's like whoo okay i guess I would do that. I mean, if it's my fucking show. I mean, it's it's a power move. I I used to be like, why would you do that to someone? It's like, eh, why not? It's when, your show. When else are you going to have this opportunity? Exactly. But so what will happen is it goes profession of love from the contestant, profession of love or rejection from the lead. Mm-hmm. And then if it's the bachelor... The bachelor will get down on one knee and propose. If it's the bachelorette, the contestant will get down on one knee and propose. And then after they're engaged, they go through this absurd show of being like, do you want my final rose? Like, bitch, you just got engaged. Yeah. It's like, at what point does the ring mean more than the rose? Yes. And which one are you really working for here on the show? Yes. Is the question that begs to be asked. It it begs to be asked. Begs. Kara, It's time to play a variation on our very favorite game. So we are going to play today, Choose That Chapter. (gasps) Amy Kaufman's book is 320 pages, and we do not have time to cover the entire thing. And instead, Kara, you get to pick an iconic chapter that stood out the most, because even if I wrote down every character and setting, you would have no idea what's happening. So. Appreciate you. It's time to play Choose That Chapter. So, Kara. Okay. Do you want to talk today about sex on The Bachelor franchise or what goes into making a reality television show? I want to see the man behind the curtain. Tell me what goes into making a reality show. Happily. Let me paint you a word picture. Please. Something to know about Amy Kaufman is that she was once very much in the bachelor's good graces. She would get invited to lots of events, would get to go to the taping of the men tell all or women tell all. That's the reunion episode where they rehash things. I realized I didn't even cover all. There's so much more terminology that we didn't even get to. (laughs) It's okay. I watched The Housewives, so I like am vaguely familiar with You get enough of what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important to know that there was a point in time in Amy Kaufman's life where she was very in. And then all of a sudden, she was very out. And we're going to talk a little bit about the thing that led her to be very out. But you've got to wait for a little bit for that. Okay. This chapter is all about how the sausage is made. Okay. Amy sits down with a former producer on the show, Michael Carroll, who promises that he can make her say some, quote, fucked up shit if you really wanted to. And so what they do is they do a practice in the moment where they do a role playing and he pretends to produce her. And so it starts off very simply with like, like, are you having a good time? Do you like The Bachelor? Do you like this? She says, yes. And then basically he turns to, well, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like you're even trying. This looks like watching paint dry. You're coming off so boring. You have to try to make him like you. And it just keeps going. And he keeps on like, insulting her and wearing her down being like listen i know america would love you but not this version of you not the version they're seeing right now and wow. just goes off and that's what they do to people on the tv show that's what they do to people on the tv show <gasps> to get them to those places where it's like i just feel like who yeah so you're talking about the tears we're gonna get there in a single day 
a contestant can have up to five in the moment interviews where they just get pulled into a room where they have to talk for a while. That's a lot. When they're filming The Bachelor, women's periods start syncing up. And so Mm -hmm. they start scheduling their most intensive interviews when they can tell that women are emotional and vulnerable. Fierce. Continue. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Not gross at all. Not gross at all. You mentioned the crying. Producers will frequently start and in the moment by talking about something completely different, maybe like a family tragedy, something that has been really hard for them in their backstory, get them to open up, get them to start crying. And then once they're crying, pivot to talking about The Bachelor. So <sighs> they already like have tears on their face. They're already emotional. So they can get like an acting workshop. Basically, one of the contestants described it as emotional leveraging. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They basically just wait until they find you at your most vulnerable and then they pivot to make it whatever they want it to be. Well, it's like, you know, like tabloid photos, you know, Mm -hmm. they like catch a person in one bad moment and it has nothing to do with whatever the headline is about. But because that's the salacious picture, that's what Us Weekly prints. Amy Kaufman says that... Based on her interviews with multiple contestants, it seems like you fall in love because of these in-the-moment interviews. So you realistically, you only see The Bachelor or Bachelorette for a couple of hours over the course of the whole show. Oh, wow. I guess so. Yeah. Like you, you get an hour here and there. Like you've probably spent 10 to 15 hours with them by the time you get engaged. But- You spend all this time getting interviewed and talking about this person and they take away your books. They take away, you don't have TV, you don't have any of these normal distractions. And so everyone that you interact with is spending all their time talking about how wonderful the bachelor or bachelorette is, including you go into this interview room and they're like, I think he really likes you. I think it's something special. I think you two might, might make it to the end. That's kind of that's gross. It's gross. It's gross. I it's very very gross. They also use specific producers for specific reasons. So one of the producers got married when she was only 21 and they don't use her name in this. So I think she still works on the show. Okay. But so she was married at 21 and a thing that she'll do with her contestants that she works with is she'll just start talking about her life and her relationships and then say, like, that's just what I want for you. Like, I want you to have something that special. So to keep them focused on, because they're all like these 23-year-old girls who a frequent refrain is like, I'm just worried I'm never going to meet the right person. At 23. Right. And so if you have this woman who did it, Mm -hmm. got married at 21 and has a successful marriage, if you have this person being like, I can help you get this. Yeah. Like, of course you're going to trust her. Yeah, it's it's bonkers. That's some, like, Olivia Pope shit. It is. I think I think you should watch Unreal. Okay. Because at, at least just the first season, it goes off the rails fast. I've heard. The first season is fun. I also know there's some gay shit in it because I'm a gay person on the internet, so. Well, Constant Zimmer's in it, so. Also. Whether she's doing anything gay or not, she's just, she's an icon to us all. She is. She's great. Which. Speaking of Constant Zimmer, it's important to do a little tangent here. Please. One of the original executive producers of the show is a woman named Liz Levinson. Of The Bachelor? Of The Bachelor, yes. Liz Levinson is who Constant Zimmer's character is based off of in Unreal. Wow. And reading about her is fascinating. Honestly, reading this book and having seen Unreal, it's like, oh, I assumed all of these were made-up tropes, but... They, they actually are, they are all based on real people in, and especially the constant Zimmer character, Liz Levinson. Nobody wanted to be left alone in a room with her. There would be times where like you would, if you were a contestant, you would have a producer who was assigned to you. And that was almost always the producer that worked with you. But let's say there's a group date and 10 people are going off site to that group date and the other 10 contestants are staying in the bachelor mansion or just like hanging out. Mm -hmm. This is what happened to many contestants at different points in times is your producer goes off on the group date. And so you're left alone in the house and which leads to a different producer coming in, including the most feared Liz Levinson, who every time I think you're about to say Liz Lemon, (laughs) I honestly, Liz Liz Lemon Lemon wishes, Liz (laughs) Lemon wishes she could do what Liz Levinson is doing. This woman sounds terrifying to me. But so she would like, 
pull girls aside, give them a shot of tequila, and then they'd be sobbing in minutes. <gasps> and like it would be full on ugly crying. Like the in the early seasons, the like biggest breakdowns you saw, they were all caused by Liz Levinson. Liz Levinson. <gasps> so she's fascinating. And it's like Big Brother, right? Like they are filmed pretty much all the time, like yeah. in the house. Yeah. yeah, that's part of what the the draw of the fantasy suite is, is that's the one time they aren't being filmed. So a lot of people will, even if they don't want to have sex, they'll still go to the fantasy suite, which they should just be having sex. Like, why are you all so scared of sex? Right. Um, And also, why do you, why can you only have sex in the fantasy suite? Exactly. Exactly. Well, some people, if we had done the sex chapter, you would learn a little bit about the woman who had sex in the ocean in (gasps) Vietnam. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Had sex with the bachelor. She still stands by that she didn't do it. It's hard to know because of it's editing. It makes it look like she did. But sure. also she's notoriously a little off. Okay. And she is the 39-year-old bachelorette who found her husband on the first night. So oh. I don't trust a 39-year-old would break in the ocean. So Liz Levinson was the worst of them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the other things that would happen is they would try to get you to say something. And you just wouldn't say it. So uh, a common thing for reality producers is they would say, what was the best part of your day today? And you couldn't just be like the soup. You would have to say the best part of my day today was the soup. Yep. You have to restate the the question. You know, you work in television. Uh, yes, I've been on many Zoom interviews and there's a lot of like, can you say that as a full question? Can you restate that as a whatever? Yeah. But so they have to do that. And if you don't give them what they want, they'll keep you in there. They'll just keep you in the room forever and be like, oh, well, guess you aren't going to sleep until you tell me that you loved this person. Seriously? That, yeah, they can and do that. Like there's a whole chapter where she goes into detail about the contract and all the things they're allowed to do to you. And it's fucking wild. You're basically signing your life away. Yes. But so sometimes you just give them what you want because you don't want to be locked in the room anymore. Sure. And then even if you don't, give them what they want. They can still Frankenbite it later. A Frankenbite is where you just rearrange some words to get what you want. So let's say you're on a date with The Bachelor and you are like, I don't love The Bachelor because I'm gay. (laughs) And they're like, oh, we don't like that. So they just take out the because I'm gay and the don't. And then they edit it together. And it's like, I love The Bachelor. Oh, wow. That's that is a very, very common thing that they do. That uh, tracks. Because all they need is a soundbite. They just need whatever they can to make the television show work best for them. They do not care if that reflects reality. Wow. Which brings us to sort of the main character of this chapter is a man named Elon Gale. Elon Gale was the executive producer of The Bachelor for many years. He no longer is, but he did it for many, many years. Okay. He came in in like the second wave. Like I think Liz Levinson is gone by this point. Okay. And he's really responsible for the modern era of the Bachelor franchise that I was going to say you see today. You don't watch that shit that I see today. That one sees. Yes. Yes. The royal we. So Elon Gale befriended our author, Amy Kaufman, years before. He saw her her recaps of, of The Bachelor and was pretty supportive. He would invite her to things is sort of how she got in, in the social circle had a lot to do with Elon Gale. He would also like attend, she would host like uh, bachelor viewing parties and he would attend. He once set it up so that Chris Harrison and the bachelor that year crashed their viewing parties. That's the thing they used to love to do is like crash. Yeah. Crash like local parties. And I was like, no, no one, no one cares. No one cares. Yeah. No one cares about this in the way that you think they do. Like, I don't think the bachelor and Chris Harrison are going to stop by and watch me on my couch watching this show. No, that's not happening. No. But so he arranged all this. They became very close. He invites her to the women tell all for one season. And she's there. This women tell all was particularly tricky because If the rumors were true for that season, The Bachelor was going to, probably for the first time ever, pick the villain of the season, the person who came off looking the worst. Okay. Uh, For those of you that are in the know, this is Benji Flanick and Courtney Robertson. So part of what happens is Courtney Robertson goes on 
the women tell all to apologize. They've like, the show has started the reunion episode. Yeah, basically. So they do the reunion episode usually before the finale because gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. They do like, um, it's a lot of the catfighting and the drama and they want it to end on this sort of romantic Positive story. Note, yeah. So they will do this first. So they had Courtney Robertson come back on the show to apologize to these women because they're basically trying to start her image rehab so that she stands a chance at having like a successful relationship. She goes on, she apologizes. They yell cut, they go to a commercial break. The mics are still live and Amy Kaufman is in a place where she can hear it. And I'm actually going to just read you part of it because the jinx, the jinx, the jinx. jinx. It basically is the jinx. All right. So she's invited to this women tell all Courtney Robertson has just done like a ton of apologizing and has been like crying and all of this stuff, like saying that she actually is a good person. And then they call for a commercial break. Mics are live. Elon Gale walks over to her and she is like dabbing her eyes with the tissue. She says, I didn't play with my hair once. Aren't you proud? He said, yes, that was very good. She said she wished they could take a cigarette break and they start talking about the brand she smokes. After a few minutes of this kind of banter, her tears had dried. I'm not feeling very emotional anymore, she told Gail. You made me feel better. I appreciate it, but I don't know if I can show that emotion again. You have to, Gail urged. This is for you. This is for you and Ben. Needless to say... After I published what I'd seen, Gail basically coaching Robertson to cry. He was none too pleased. And that is how she loses her connections to Bachelor Nation. Like, she stops getting invited to things. She posted that, like, on a recap? Yeah, she, like, posted on a recap or a a news story, something. But, like, she shared that she saw all of that happen because she's a journalist. Like, yeah, just because it's bachelor journalism doesn't make it any less like you still have to share what you saw yeah yeah and so she basically is like our relationship was never the same he never contacted me after that but like he does he coaches her to cry and then she interviews a bunch of other contestants about him and his different uh, approaches to things some people refer to him as a therapist he will post on the internet pictures of these people and like refer to them as his children it's like a very weird relationship where people think of him as like their closest friends but like he would do anything for the show like his allegiance is to the show and so he details this story very good at his job he's very good at his job there's one uh contestant who one season for bachelor in paradise had to leave because someone in his family was sick and then uh he had just started dating someone on the show and asked this person to leave with them. And as soon as he got back, Elon Gale called him every night being like, we'll fly you back for the end of the season. You can, and you should propose. Do you like her? Do you want to propose to her? Do you want, like he wanted to do like image rehab. This guy was like a notorious uh, bad boy on the show. And he wanted like it to end with him Redemption storyline. A redemption storyline. And so he gets all the way to Mexico and like is vomiting and freaking out about a proposal. And Elon Gale keeps pushing him the whole time. It's like, it's a wild ride there. But for all these other stories, he just like gets involved in people's lives. It's super weird. And I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically the chapter. Wow. Carrie, that's awesome and terrifying and cool. Wow. I loved that. It's a fascinating story and it's a, the whole thing is weird. Like how much people still care about this show when almost everything I listen to, like all the podcasts I listen to and stuff like that, they know about Frankenbiting. They know about most of this. Nothing I read was like, this is shocking. Yeah. It's like, I know exactly what I'm getting into when I watch the show, but I do it anyway. And well, I, I am definitely feeling like I don't know if I'll be doing it forever, but it's wild that like, you know, all of this happens and all of these things exist, but you still do it anyway. And that that's the like, that's the tricky part about all of this is like, should I be stopping this? Does it matter if I'm consuming it? And yeah, Amy Kaufman has another chapter that basically talks a lot about like specifically around feminism and the idea of like, she speaks to like a feminist scholar who is like, 
we we can't make sure every single show we watch lives up to like our personal principles yeah because otherwise then you don't get to enjoy anything you don't get to have a life you're just busy living an ideology and i get that but i also sometimes wonder like is this the show that i want to break my rule for (laughs) yeah like Yeah. yeah i feel that i feel that it's it's just messy. I'm not, I'm not sure where I stand. I think it's an ever evolving conversation that you have with yourself, you know, and you personally get to decide like what your line in the sand is. And maybe it's not maybe it's always moving, right? Like maybe mm-hmm. in a specific instance something doesn't bother you, but then in another instance something yeah. that's much less like egregious is just like, oh, this is fucking stupid and it is what makes you uninterested. Yeah, I think I think being an educated and observant viewer of Anything you watch, being critical of everything you watch is is important. For sure. You you don't get to be like, oh, I'm just doing this for fun. I don't have to think about it. No, you have to think about the really problematic parts. It reminds me a little of in Rachel Bloom's book, when she talks about going to Disney World or Disneyland, she talks about how when you ride Splash Mountain, you have to acknowledge that this is racist yes. and you have to do it for longer if your entire party is white. Like you yes. have to, <laughs> and and it's just like, yeah, that's it. You can still enjoy the thing, but you have to acknowledge it and have to, as I said before, interrogate it. Yeah, don't like bury your head in the sand. Don't be like, this is the pinnacle of television. Or, or even be like, this is my just for fun thing. I don't have to think while I watch this. No, you don't get anything where you just completely don't have to think. Yeah. None of us have earned that luxury. Yes, exactly. Like you can enjoy it mindlessly, but like you should also be aware of the problems with influence. Yeah. Yes. Shall we um, do a little click clack research of our own? Mama, let's research. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Celebrity Book Club. Did you or a loved one see the video of the giant baby on Twitter? If so, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Email celebritybookpod at gmail.com to receive your free information packet. Kara, I researched nothing because I know everything about this franchise. <laughs> what, uh, what did you research? I did a little bit of um, tap tapping about reality TV show producers, and I found this deadline article from 2017 called Reality Producers Rank Best and Worst Basic Cable Companies to Work With. Great. Um, Which I thought was interesting um, because I never really thought about the fact that like reality shows, obviously we think of stuff like Real Housewives and The Bachelor and like those Mm -hmm. more like drama intensive shows. But a lot of other networks have like, reality shows that are them filming like people that's just content more like geared towards their specific network like discovery channel has like reality shows of things like um those uh shows where people like stop the whale hunters you know like that's Uh, reality tv you know yeah there are entire networks that are almost exclusively reality television exactly which i had never really thought about before like people say reality tv and you think like keeping up with the kardashians and Mm -hmm. you know that kind of stuff some takeaways, um, History Channel, A&E, and Lifetime are apparently some of the best ones to work for. Great. Again, Lifetime, you you know this about me. I wish that I were a Lifetime movie director. Yes. But part of that is like, yeah, I would 100% work for Lifetime in a second. It yeah. just seems like a great place, and their content really works for me still. And they have a formula that works, and they yes. follow it, and they keep making out like bandits. So yeah. Good for them. And they have good work-life balance. Way to go lifetime. You keep doing you. We love that. Um, some of the ones consistently in the bottom were um, CMT country music television, BET and oxygen, which the BET being in the bottom seems racist, racist. to me. Yep. CMT and oxygen. I know less about as networks, but I don't know. I feel like something in the, data gathering was skewed here as as in the people that they asked demographically were um probably skewed well i think if i think if we've learned anything in most fields that's where most jobs already skew cis whale cis whale and might um (laughs) most jobs already skew cis white and male so yeah it doesn't surprise me that sort of the way we view everything has to be reevaluated by the fact that like the people who 
whose voices are heard are not particularly representative. Yes. But go off, Lifetime. Go off, Lifetime. Go off. I respect it. Quick correction. I learned that my computer auto-corrected me typing Lisa to Liz. So <laughs> it's not Liz Levinson. It's Lisa Levinson. She's her whole own person. <laughs> Which I learned when I kept typing Liz Levinson bachelor and nothing came up. I was like, um. And then finally it was like, did you mean? Yeah, great. Great job by me. It's okay. Carrie, were you able to make a Six Degrees of Larbell Bundy for this? I have, and I'm pretty excited about it. Go for it. So obviously I'm not using Amy Kaufman because I'm sure she has interviewed many people and is a very worthwhile person, but I'm going full Bachelor on this. So The Bachelor has inspired many different spoofs of itself over the years. One of the most famous but hardest to find is the series Burning Love. I love Burning Love. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you do. Great. Well, it's like a who's who of comedy now. It really is. Even though at the time, all those people were like just starting out. They were just like working actors trying to make it happen. And, but yes, so we're talking Burning Love. So I'm so happy you're happy. So Burning Love features Ken Marino as the bachelor on this show. Ken Marino starred in Wet's Hot American Summer 10 years later, at the very least, with Josh Charles. Mm -hmm. Josh Charles was in Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams. Robin Williams starred in Jumanji with Laura Bell Bundy. Wow, 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 wow. That was a real uh, ride for Kara. Even though I didn't know I was doing it just for you, I'm that really hits a lot of your target areas. It really did. Uh, similarly, mine has some inroads. <laughs> Is that a word that I want? I don't know, but we're going to find out. (laughs) To uh, things that I think you enjoy. Great. Lisa Levinson, I learned an hour ago, is the inspiration for Constance Zimmer's character in Unreal. Constance Zimmer um, was on Entourage for many, many years. Another person who had uh, a large arc on Entourage was uh, one Gary Cole. Uh, (laughs) Who you know and love. I love love Gary Cole. (laughs) As as, uh, Kent from Veep. Yep. Um, he also plays uh, another very meticulous sort of stick in the mud type dude on uh, The Good Wife and The Good Fight. He plays uh, Christine Baranski's eventual love interest uh, named, not Kent, Kurt. Very similar. Always getting those very names mixed similar. up. And then from Gary Cole, we have Christine Baranski, who was in The Good Fight with Kate Jindal, who was in Legally Blonde with Laura Bell Bundy. Fantastic the best i like that we really did promise that we would get baranski in there i think we did that in one other episode as well yes but for a long time i've been trying to get to baranski and and now that baranski has become a staple it does make sense that we're we're gonna close the ride on lara bell it does and also it's hilarious because literally every broadway actor has been on the good wife at some point so it's a crime almost that we haven't gotten there sooner. Well, we've gotten there. We're ready. She's been a fun one, but it's time. It's time to name a successor. Kira, can we franchise The Bachelor? I think they already have. I think they've done so much. Like I couldn't even get through the sentence. Like <laughs> I, I don't like- want any more of this. I already, I watched this eight months out of the year. And the fact that, like, not only is there so much actual content, but as you and I both found two separate examples of things that were based on slash inspired by slash spoofing The Bachelor. Yeah, they, they've got enough. Yeah. Well, we aren't going to give The Bachelor any more airtime. If you liked this pod, you can find thousands of Bachelor podcasts. So best of luck to you. I, I stand by that... Should Kara ever take a leave of absence from the pod, I will do exclusively Bachelor episodes until she returns. So, but please don't so buckle up, leave everybody. The pod. So, <laughs> everybody keep Kara safe and healthy so that she never needs to stop doing the pod. I'm trying to think if you ever took a leave of absence, what I would do. A bunch more like literary memoirs. Like, you would, it wouldn't be celebrity anymore. 
I do love an essay collection. I do love an essay collection. I think I would probably do, yeah, like people who have their fucking essays in like New York Times and fucking the New Yorker. And shit. Again, Kara is prestige television. I am trash television in every aspect of our life. Apparently the same is true for literature as well. Literature. Don't forget to rate and review and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Celeb Book Pod. Carrie is on Twitter and Instagram at CFOST Talks A Lot. That's the letter C, FOST Talks A Lot. You can find Kara at underscore KPRO. That's underscore K-A-Y-P-R-O. Questions, comments, concerns, send us an email at celebritybookpod at gmail.com. Tell us what you loved, what you hated, and what you want us to read next. Thanks for listening. This has been Celebrity Book Club. <laughs>